Hello and welcome to Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers. I'm your host, Dr. Erin Bauer, clinical psychologist and coach, mother of two traumatic births myself. This podcast is all about helping the helpers and supporting and training birth workers to feel connected and confident to navigate birth trauma. Advocacy and activism starts with conversations. My legacy is not going to be one of sitting around and saying, oh well, that's just the way birth is, we can't change the system. Let's raise our voices while raising our vibrations. Trauma work isn't all dark and shadow. We can find light in without making light of. I want you to find growth, passion and purpose, to go back to the love, joy, humanity that brought you to birth work in the first place. This podcast is also available in video format where guests have said, yes, let me be visible. Head on over to my YouTube channel, which is Dr. Erin Bell. Before we start, if you've been enjoying this podcast and you're listening on iTunes, can you hit pause for a second and leave me a quick review? I want these stories and support and messages of hope and growth to reach as many people who are interested in birth as I possibly can. Reviews help the algorithm and show the podcast to more people. There's no money in it for me. This podcast is just a small part of me being the change I want to see. It's also an excuse to shift out of mum life and have meaningful conversations with other grown-ups who are maybe not as invested in fart jokes and pork troll. <laughs> I love stories. This is why I do what I do. This is why I do this podcast. Sharing stories can be such soul medicine. I really do believe that as healers and helpers, we cannot walk this path alone. We need support, a sounding board and a circle, either a physical or a metaphorical one for storytelling. What does it mean to be unapologetically you, to stand in the boldest expression of yourself and say, hey, I'm not going to hide. Here is my story with complex childhood trauma. Oh, you're going to feel some big feelings today. That's okay. My guest is all about sitting with, accepting and moving with big feelings. You can come back to it if you need to. But there is magic to be found in what we're avoiding. There is nowhere to hide with lotus fire. She is creative, glowy, playful. And to use a phrase that many Australians grew up with, she has more front than Myers. It means to be bold, cheeky, and unapologetically self-confident. Survivors of complex childhood trauma are often amazing chameleons, adaptive shapeshifters. Lotus and I talk about the idea of who are you? As in, who are you now instead of who did you have to become to survive your childhood? Sometime around 17, Lotus began working through experiences of childhood incest, and she's done a lot of work. We talk about what it's like when you and what you're carrying feels like too much for some people to support. Trauma work is really difficult. And there are, unfortunately, quite a few people saying they do trauma work who can't manage caring without carrying in that they actually don't know how to help. We talk about Lotus's pregnancy with her son, and experiencing the suicide of her father when she was seven months pregnant. How fine she seemed, how everyone else talked as though she was fine. Remember that bit about the chameleon? 
We talk about finding joy in trauma work, dancing, talking to rocks, playing tag, making jokes. You are more powerful than you know. If birth workers and the people we serve can remember that they are powerful, then we will change the world. Quick note on the audio for today's episode. Between the internet in the countryside and Gorgeous Lotus being in a caravan park, there's a few laggy bits, audio going over the top of audio, few pauses. Use that as my hypnotic suggestion to check in with yourself. How's your body feeling? How's your breath? Rather than finding yourself too distracted by it. These things happen, you know. A huge push for me this year was to just do done rather than perfect. So let's go with that. Shall we dive in to what you're doing here today? Where should we start? Where do we even start? I guess the thing with you is I want to focus so much on the growth and the strength and the how did you get to this point here? Because I think what is going to be so useful for people is that they're going to look at you and go, oh, wow, she did that. She is doing that. So maybe I can do that too. It's possible. And I think um, with trauma stuff, let me know what you think. But I guess there is so much we could, well, it depends how you want to do this, whether you want to just give people like a bit of the Reader's Digest version of what has transpired in your life or if you want to go the other way and go to the this is where I'm at now and backtrack. I don't know. How do you want to tell this story? It's an amazing yeah, um, I don't know. We, I mean, we can start with the Reader's Digest. Um, it doesn't have to be. I mean, have to start with like my like right now, like today, my commitment kind of to this work and to kind of what being trauma informed and showing up daily for me um, can look like. So before the podcast, you know, I was like, oh, podcast interview, you know, it's scary, <laughs> and um, but also just I'm so passionate about talking about this stuff. Like I, um, there was a guy we're at a caravan park and um he was chatting to my husband and they were having small weather chats and my husband was talking about wanting to get kind of into stuff and of course I went over there and like immediately like we're talking about trauma and like all sorts <laughs> of you know, healing modalities and um yeah. and learning about microdosing and I just like that's that's who I am like that's I yeah. just this is I live and breathe this way of life and and getting into the deep and meaningfuls and um so I came back into the van and I danced it out I shook my body and I went through a little emotion circle and just expressed um some sadness some joy some bliss some ecstasy some anger mm-hmm. um and I just moved with it a little bit and um yeah that's um a daily practice for me because often I can feel really stuck and um heavy by all of the stuff that I'm carrying day to day and um at different times and stages in my life that's looked radically different and I'm I'm mm-hmm. thankful for the shifts and for all the different things um but yeah where I am now um really started when I was 17 um and I had my first repressed memory come up so um one night uh i was staying up late and i rented a movie on itunes only time i've ever rented a movie on itunes it's 99 cents and um very very strange movie um and kind of incest and repressed memories and stuff was in the movie and the next morning um i woke up 
with just a, a sense of something that had happened to me with another child when, um, when I was younger. Yeah. And I was just like, like, you know, I watched this movie and that, and then this is like, I just was so kind of caught off guard. Um, and so I went downstairs and was living with my sister at the time. And I said, Hey, do you remember, you know, my friend, um, such and such, and, um, this thing that happened, you know, with, with Plato and, um, and she was like, yeah, of course. And I was like, what? I was like, I, I didn't remember. Um, and so the first memory that came to me was one that was kind of provable. You know, it was like something that um, I at least, you know, my sister remembered. And it was one that felt really like I didn't have this whole like, oh, that's not real. I didn't have quite such a, um, a hard time believing it and accepting it and integrating it. Um, and so when that memory came up, um, I pretty much immediately um, got vaginismus and vulvodynia. Mm. And um, I didn't know what either of those things were at the time. I just knew that sex was a way that I felt um, worthy and loved. And it was a big, I was really kind of addicted to sex and using it to feel good enough um, in myself. And I thought that my body was really all I was worth. And so I used that all the time. And then all of a sudden, it was incredibly painful. Um, I ended up getting a tear um, from trying to have sex. And um, I just thought, I'm totally broken and I didn't know what to do. Um, and um, I have an aunt who is a New Yorker and very pro therapy. And I was like, oh, Aunt Anne said that therapy is great. So I'm going to go find a therapist. And my, I knew that my parents um, had really um, been abusive and neglectful in, in a lot of ways. And so I kind of called up my dad and said, hey, um, you owe me, you owe me this and you need to pay for my therapy. So I started going to therapy and, um, it was really a space where, um, you know, every week I had stuff coming up. I was still very much living in, um, the abuse and just really deep in, um, the trauma. And so it was a space where I could kind of recognize how deep things went, um, and start to begin to take care of myself and um so I did and it was really hard um that year there was still a lot of really hardcore trauma stuff happening um in my life and in my family and um I ended up 17 let's go back and romantically again you're 17 yeah yeah 17 age that is, oh, so tricky for so many of us anyway so that's amazing mm. Yeah. And I think I just, um, like, I always knew that, like, yeah, I had some depression stuff and anxiety stuff, but I just thought, like, well, everyone else in my family does too. So, like, that's the way life is. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And then I just, I knew that I had to, you know, I was like, my vagina broke. So, got to do something. And even with that, though, you know, um, I had no idea what was happening with my body for maybe like a year. Um, and it was actually my boyfriend at the time who on Reddit, uh, he was trying to like read about what might be happening. Um, mm -hmm. and he found out about vaginismus on a Reddit thread of all things. Um, mm -hmm. and so then I went to my therapist and was like, do you think this could be happening? And she had no idea what it was. Um, and the, the treatment recommendations for vaginismus and vulvodynia are pretty horrifying in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. world um at least for someone who's got the kind of trauma that I, yeah Ugh, so much there um but yeah so 
difficult. I ended up um, moving away from my family and spending a year um, doing full-time volunteer work um, at a public school in New York City. And it changed everything for me. You know, I think that um, changing my environment was huge for me and having space to um, even physically be able to start taking care of myself and start to kind of un unravel the trauma bonds that were so deeply woven in me and my body. And so, yeah, over the next, you know, I think 17, I keep forgetting how old I am. I think I'm 26, <laughs> about to turn 27. Um, but the last couple of years have all, have also been quite, quite a lot. So I'm like, am I 27? I honestly don't oh, yeah, know. And I'm really bad really at math. So. so yeah, sure. We'll go with yeah. that. So we'll just go with nine years. So over the next nine years, um, I moved around quite a lot. Um, I found a couple of different therapists and it really, you know, the trauma world has really blown up in the past mm. nine years and particularly the last like three years, I would say. Um, and at that time it just wasn't, um, it wasn't really talked about in that way. And even my therapists, like they just were not, um, really trained in, um, you know, deep childhood trauma stuff. And they were all really well intentioned and all, you know, I think really cared. Um, but that was kind of it, you know, and they all were kind of like, I'm willing, you know, you can totes come and work with me, but like, I'm at a loss. And I was like, well, I've showed up here and it took me enough to get this far. So I don't really know what else to do if you're at a loss. So I'll just keep showing up here. And um, then EMDR had been mentioned to me a few times as a thing that that was like the trauma thing that people knew about. Um, and um, so eventually when I had the, had the capacity, I found an EMDR therapist and um, I'd been having lots of flashbacks and nightmares and intrusive thoughts um, about incest. And I really was very adamant that um, something was wrong with me. Something was wrong with my brain. Like I'd watched this movie and that had like planted something in me and nothing physical had ever happened. And um, the first EMDR therapist that I saw said to me, um, it sounds like your dad probably sexually abused you. So if we go down this path, you know, that's probably going to come up. And I was like, I mean, I didn't say anything to her, but I was like, fuck you. Like, how could you say that to me? Like, I emailed my old therapist and was like, how, how dare she, you know? And I was so, I went and um, I bought makeup on my dad's credit card. <laughs> I was like, this is, <laughs> you're paying for this. Um, and um, yeah, so I found a new EMDR therapist. And um, I just, I remember saying to her, what are the symptoms? Like, do I have the symptoms? Like, what, you know, and she went through like, oh, maybe some UTIs or like, you know, do you, you know, and um, none of the things she said rang true. And even that is like the symptoms of complex childhood trauma, like I experienced are so wide and diverse. And often they, they like are not present. That's one of the biggest things that happens is that, you know, people that have been in this trauma for so long learn so well to shut it all down. And so, um, so I was just like, oh, cool. I didn't, I don't remember having UTIs as a child or wetting the bed. So must not be real. And it's like, oh, here's this thing that we can like cut you open, like metaphorically, literally and see it. 
is it there, is it not? Oh, okay, yeah. well, it's a yes or a no. Like, it's just, yeah, it blows my mind that that's where yeah. we're it's still so nuts. And it's like now, now, you know, like in the, um, there's um, the like Bible of childhood sexual um, abuse for women. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now. Um, but they talk about how like a good place to start is just if you think maybe something happened or if you have thoughts coming up or if you have like that's that's enough to begin um and so yeah over the next you know several years I, I traveled I uh lived in Australia for a little while I lived in Sri Lanka I had amazing experiences um that were so healing outside of therapy and um eventually I uh, moved to Nashville for a couple of years in America um and uh, started doing EMDR there and um, also was doing some art therapy and, and built a really great relationship with um, the therapist that I was working with, which was really the, the most important part, I think. And um, in that time is when I was finally able to accept um, what was real and true for me, which is that I'm a survivor of father-daughter incest. And it was shattering. It was like seeing, it was like this feeling that like, all the puzzle pieces fit together which was like kind of a relief but it was also like looking at the most horrific puzzle ever it was like who the fuck would make this kind of puzzle um and i think that's something that kind of for me i think emdr is really it's like very measurable and it's very um you know like there are steps and um I think it's kind of like this tool that's outside for me. It's like this tool that was outside of me that I could go, oh, it's the EMDR that's helping. And even that, you know, that I was able to, through EMDR, accept this memory. Um, I'm not really, it doesn't really feel right to me anymore for my healing process. I'm more into trusting what's coming up moment to moment and exploring with that and unfolding that. And I, I found that eventually I was doing a bit of EMDR in Melbourne as well, because I was really like, that's the thing that I need. Like I need EMDR to be able to, to heal this stuff. And, um, and I realized that it was really like a kind of pushing, pushing myself. And um, I think kind of in a similar way, I think about it to kind of the way people take ayahuasca. And it's like, you know, you could go on a drumming journey, for example, um, and have a similar experience to ayahuasca, but there's a different element of trust in self in a drumming journey because you're not taking some outside substance or using some outside tool and you have to trust what's coming up in you, which is a process in and of itself. And um, so, so yeah, um, I ended up finding some amazing um, healing workshops and spaces here in Australia um, by some people uh, whose business is called Innate Wisdom Connection. And it's really about that unfolding whatever your innate healing wisdom is trying to bring out. Um, but yeah, when I, so I, I got pregnant, I was living in Australia um, and uh, I had really, when I first moved to Australia, I was like, I built a beautiful community for myself in Nashville and I was like yeah I'm just gonna do it again like I know I can do it it's gonna be great and then I got here and I was pregnant and it was hard and I was lonely and I was like oh I forgot <laughs> it takes time and it's hard yeah. and um you know I was trying to find therapists and people and it just it was horrible it was hard and um then when I was seven months pregnant um my father committed suicide mm -hmm. and I had already 
um, stopped talking to him. And so at first I just said, you know, I already grieved him. It is what it is. This is always how it was going to end. And now it's over. And that's that. And what do you know? That was not the whole truth of it. Um, And so after I had... (laughs) What a shame. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I was like, it's cool, guys. That's fine, actually. You know, um, I already grieved him. Check. (laughs) You know. Um, all those old intense coping mechanisms of dissociation came in. And, you know, I think that was one of the really hard things for my friends and, and family and my partner is that um, because of the degree of my developmental trauma, I am so, I have these intense skills of like, it's fine guys, look, I'm really happy. And, you know, I did that for my whole childhood. Yeah. Um, and really I was like living in a war zone. And so um so these things just came in I was really just like I'm just gonna have the birth that I want I'm just gonna be the mom that I want and it's gonna be great and I was in many ways but I was also dying inside and um I really lost myself and in the months of my postpartum time um I had that you know just an extreme dissociation going on and looking really great like yeah fine um and then I just was having these intense, intrusive thoughts um, of killing myself. And I think, you know, I really believe that what, um, what we don't heal, we pass on to future generations. And my father, you know, there's not a lot of space for abusers to heal at all. Um, and he didn't heal um, and he didn't have those spaces. And, you know, there were certainly times that he tried, um, but yeah, it didn't happen. And so when he killed himself, all of a sudden all these things got passed on to me um to face and um that's been quite a journey and I always was really clear that I didn't want to kill myself but I couldn't stop seeing it happen and I think um I think that's true for a lot of people that it feels like it's the only out you know it's not like this conscious like oh I'd really like to do this you know it's just like something that keeps coming up and haunting people until it's like yeah okay this is, you know, this is what's happening now. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so my husband and I have been on quite the healing journey since, uh, with our little boy and, um, yeah, we've been to some amazing, um, I don't even want to call them workshops, but, um, some amazing healing spaces. Um, and we've been able to bring Calico with us. Um, and, you know, really deep. Um, Also a huge part of it for me has been connecting to the earth and realizing that um, at one point I had this question keep coming up of like, how is it that I was also safe and supported the whole time? Because in some ways I was like, I made it to here. So like how, like just this kind of dichotomy of like these really horrifying things were happening and this other stuff was also happening and I also had a beautiful childhood and I have beautiful memories you know and and um and this deep connection to nature for me has always been true and so reconnecting to mother earth and realizing that you know her support um and and healing power is always available to me and um you know doing things like talking to rocks um I highly recommend having a chat with a rock um a great thing to do um and and realizing that um you know I think one of the biggest lessons for me has been how expansive healing is and how healing is not it doesn't look 
any one kind of way. And often what we think of as healing is so lame compared to what healing actually is, you know, or is so like light and fluffy compared to what healing actually is. Um, and yeah, it just keeps blowing my mind. Um, and I've been thinking about how can I, how can I like describe to people that healing is worth it? Because it is painful. You know, part of it is that there was a lot of pain that I wasn't safe to express as a child. And so healing involves expressing that pain. And often it brings it all up and it brings up these feelings of not being able to survive it. Because at the time I didn't have the space to feel like I couldn't survive it. I was just surviving it. And so, you know, it's like, how can I, I think for me, it's been this like, this uncovering of who I really am. You know, there have been times where I've felt like every breath I've ever taken and every word I have ever said was because of what happened to me. And to be able to find words that are my words, you know, and, and breaths that are my breaths is something that is like, it's indescribable. It's not, um, yeah, there's no like, I don't think there is a way to describe truly what, um, what, what healing is worth, you know? Um, and I think it's what the world needs. I think, yeah, trauma impacts all of us. And that's why I'm so damn passionate about it. Like, it's not, you know, I have this like heavy story, but it impacts everyone. We all have trauma um, and there's space for all of it. You know, people say things like, oh, well, mine's not really significant. Wrong. <laughs> not true. Um, yeah. You know? So that's me. <laughs> that's the Reader's Digest, maybe. It's a pretty good readers' version. I think the stuff I want to reflect on there is a huge part of what comes through for you when I hear you speak, when I see your face, is that, like it or not, I think you are like a bit of a poster child for healing doesn't have to be so heavy. And the work, because, you know, I think in the trauma world, I see a lot now that it's becoming a bit more mainstream, there's so much focus on like the work. And the work has to be like so deep and so like dark and so awful. And the work can really be, as you say, talking to rocks, laughing, finding that inner child stuff, having some joy. We can totally. give ourselves permission to do the heavy stuff, sure, but then let it go and just mm. live and get, as you said, find out who you get to be instead of who did you have to become to survival? Mm. Who did you have to be? to just be here, living, breathing, still with us. Yeah. And then you get to sit with that and go, okay, right. Now what? Absolutely. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's just like, you know, there are certainly moments where, like, I talk about um, a workshop that uh, my mom actually came from America to, and I came back and everyone was like, but was it healing? And I was like, <clears throat> I think that, Oftentimes, when we have a wound that's so deep and we've wrapped it up for years and years and generations and generations, when you unwrap that wound, it's like, oh my God, it smells and there's a lot of pus and like, you know, it's not, um, it's not pretty, but that is also healing. But what's also healing is like playing inner child play with friends and like running around on the beach and playing tag, you know, what's also healing is like laying under some covers and making pillow forts, you know, and um, dancing and laughing and like 
making jokes about the trauma with other people who get it and then them being like oh but we're joking about it because we are not feeling the real pain underneath like all of that all of that matters and all of it um yeah it's just you know and like and and the nature stuff like there's so much beautiful healing I think to be done with our planet um and yeah it's just um I don't know. I, I, yeah, I don't have words for it. <laughs> and I think that's okay. It can be a feeling. There's no one way to do mm. There's absolutely yeah. And it might change and you might do one version and you get to a point you're like, yeah, good, I'm done with that. And then bam, there's something else. And you're like, fuck. Totally. I'm done with this. Yeah, absolutely. And then it just keeps going in a cycle because I guess that's it. Mm. I really, the older I get, I just think, yeah, that's what we're here to do. Yeah. We are here to suffer, <laughs> figure out what it means and have some beautiful fun with it. It's yeah. Because and I think especially at this time, mm. like we're at this kind of precipice in the way I see it of culture shifting and, you know, environmental challenges and all these things. And if we want to create something new, you know, so many of the barriers to healing, I think, are from our culture and the ways that we've internalized it. And, you know, we're like, oh, I need to show up for that nine to five and pay the car payment and, you know, do the rent. And, you know, we don't have space for community and we're not living in tribes anymore. And we're disconnected from the fact that we're freaking animals. And that's, all trauma in and of itself and it prevents us from being able to do it but if we can find ways and moments Mm -hmm. and just like tiny little seconds of doing it then that's how we create something totally new and I'm so excited to see what kind of new world and culture we create because I really deeply believe that it's possible it has to be like it's just it has to be and I think a huge why we have these conversations and why we do this stuff is because there's that next, well, like we've got kids, that next generation of going, if you don't want to, yeah, as you were saying before, if you don't want to hand on the box of trauma and destruction and all the heavy negative stuff, all the big heavy rocks instead of the animals, then something has to shift. We have to do something different. Instead yeah. They're like, you know, I see sometimes people, not all the time, but in that older generation, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to die soon anyway. <laughs> what? Yeah. I care that I keep going to be wearing like 400 factor sunscreen and not be able to go outside and yeah. Yeah, totally. But it's a thing that gets handed down. The, the scarcity yeah. and the fear and the, all of that stuff. I guess if we take that back to birth, how is birth, mm-hmm. birth work, whatever version of that world you want to do? I think the two of them are like they're different sides of the same coin, really. Birth. Oh, totally. Talk to me about how that's been for you. Yeah. Um, I've always loved birth, like I and and mothering, and like I've just always since I was little, I was like, if I get pregnant at sixteen, I'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm glad I didn't, um, really, really, truly glad. Um, but I just could not wait to be a mother and experience pregnancy at first. Um, yeah, I was just like watching all the videos. Um, yeah, just a super big birth nerd always. And, um, it's funny though, cause when I thought about being a doula originally, I was like, oh, but that's like for other people. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know that 
I could do that. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, so for me, um, oh, there's so much to be learned in birth experiences. Um, and I think the fear one um, is so interesting. I actually just did an IGTV video about this because like you said, we pass on the fear and so many of us carry deep ancestral trauma around birth mm -hmm. and um there's this whole idea going around about birthing without fear and i think that that's actually not very wise like if we have fear let's move with it let's express it preferably before birth but then also if it comes up in birth we know what to do like it's fine to be afraid in birth it's fine to be angry in birth so long as we're not holding it in and repressing it because that's when it's going to cause you know mm -hmm. issues i think um, but yeah, so for me, um, I had an incredible birth experience, um, and there are still lots of lessons from it, you know, and things that next time, um, you know, I would do differently. Um, and it's interesting because I just, um, in America, I never would have birthed in a hospital system um, because things are a lot um, <laughs> I don't even need to explain that. I think most people yeah. are like, hmm, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. America. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was very questioning of the Australian system. Like every time I went in, like the whole, I just couldn't get over like getting a Medicare card. And like, I, I was like, and are you going to charge me for this? And they were like, oh, no, like they, were, they just thought I was so weird. And I was like, I'm going to get a bill, aren't I? Um, but um, yeah, I just didn't think I could afford um a home birth which like looking back like I could have like oh like, I knew I wanted a home birth and um and to be birthing in nature like oh, there's there's so much there um but yeah I birthed at home uh on my due date um for about 12 hours and or labored at home and um I was convinced I was like very much like it could be you know due dates don't mean anything and you know it could be any time and um I had no signs um and then my husband and I had sex um and about 30 minutes later I started to have some cramps but I was just convinced the whole time I was like this is not the real deal like it's just gonna <laughs> fade away um and so my husband was like sleeping he went to work for a bit my doula came over um and and then she left for a bit and then you know um so I was just going with it just moving just in the shower a lot um and really, I think I was timing contractions for the first, like, 10 minutes, maybe. And then I didn't time them the whole rest of the time. I was just like, I actually don't care about this. And I'm not paying attention to this app at all. Um, and then, um, yeah, I just really didn't feel the need to go to the hospital at all. Which, looking back, I'm like, oh, you know, I had this thing of, like, so I ended up pushing on the toilet. I just all of a sudden went, ah! And I was like, oh, <laughs> maybe it is real. Maybe it's time to go to the hospital and like I was like oh, I don't want to have a car baby but like car babies are great like why didn't I just say like actually I'll just stay home or have a car baby instead of the hospital um but um but yeah so um I had one of my friends um Dasha Clark who's a fellow doula had told me that in her birth she was just like shouting I can do this and at the time I was like that's a bit cheesy isn't it um, but, um I uh I had done a sprint triathlon a couple of years before my birth and um it was such an incredible experience of being in my body and um you know, that building new neural pathways of relating to myself and believing in myself mm. and um, 
so I hit this point in the shower when I was at home where I was like, oh, they're just going to keep coming back and uh-huh, it's just going to keep happening. And I was like, oh my God, if this is what keeps going on, then like, it's going to be a horrible rest of the ride. Um, so from that point on, I was like, I can do this. I can do this. They're going to keep coming back and they're just going to keep getting stronger until my baby gets here. I can do this. And just on repeat, I was like, I can do this. And um, I was like wearing this like old blue bathrobe that I'd gotten. Um, and uh, there was no parking out front. So we like got to the hospital and um, I was like in the parking garage, like <laughs> in the elevator. I can do this I'm, like, in the waiting room. Um, and uh, I still didn't really believe it was real until it was happening. Um, but um, it's almost like I remember having the feeling like I think I'm just pretending like I think I just yeah. did so badly I remember shutting myself in the bathroom at my second bed and I think I'm just pretending like what um maybe coming out of my body but I think I'm just pretending. It's just Braxton Hicks it's just Braxton Hicks actually <laughs> um, no um so yeah um yeah, I, I had a, quite a beautiful um, birth experience. You know, like I said, next time, I, I definitely learned a lot from it. Um, and just around having, like, that I deserve to have, I deserve to have continuity of care. I deserve to have the birth of my freaking dreams, not what I thought was possible, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, one of the deep griefs of this time is that so many of us don't even dare to dream about the birth that's possible because there's so much fear there. And I think that really, um, for me being trauma informed, a, a huge piece of it is about feeling feelings and moving our feelings with our body and our voice. Mm -hmm. And, um, if we push that fear to the side and we say, like, I went to this, like, uh, birthing bliss workshop. Um, and I just felt the whole time, like I couldn't, my dad had just killed himself and I had all this deep stuff going on. I was like, is my vaginismus going to impact my birth? You know, I'm like mm -hmm. Googling like child sexual abuse survivors in birth. And I was like, oh, I can't really bring this into the birthing bliss workshop now, can I? <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I'm like sitting there with the other ladies. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like pretending with them that like, it's all happy and great and yeah, cool, you know? Um, and it really wasn't. I just didn't have that space. You know, I was like, uh, and, and the thing is too, that like, I'm so great at advocating for myself in so many ways. And so besides the birthing bliss workshop, I was very like clear, like to my doula and other people that like, yes, this is hard. And these are the things I have going on. You know, when I called doulas, I was like, I'm a child sexual abuse survivor. And these are the things. And are you a feminist? Do you, you know? Like, um, and because I was so like verbal, you know, I think everyone just thought like, oh, she's fine. Like she's, you know, she's going to get the resources she needs and, and whatever. And I just, I wasn't. Um, and, and, you know, that's, I think one of the biggest issues with really intense developmental trauma is this like intense mask of, yep, I'm fine. And, uh, you know, even if I'm saying, you know, like I would say to my husband, mm -hmm. I'm really not okay. But then I look, look so okay that he's like, yeah, but look at her. And I'm like, no, mm -hmm. it's not. I just can't, I, I couldn't express that. Um, and I didn't have the space within myself to do that. Um, yeah. It's a thing that happens a lot. And I think um, going back to what you're saying, because I was going to ask you anyway, about your thoughts, feelings about this concept of trauma-informed care. I think something that I'm trying to figure out a way to teach this to people better is that you can't just look at someone and go, oh, she seems quite put together. She seems like she's asking for what she wants. Therefore, it's like the, you know, what is it, the analogy of the duck or the swan who's all bliss, 
<laughs> on mm. the and then underneath they're like, fuck, help me, I'm dying. Because that is, again, mm. the, this is what you had to do to survive your childhood. Yeah. The biggest I totally. think, thing often that people don't get about childhood trauma is how much you will adapt, be a chameleon, you do what you need to do to get these people to feed you, take care yeah. of you, give you water, to give you somewhere safe to sleep. And, you know, having worked in child protection and how many times people are like, can't believe like why would they ever want to go back with their parents like so many times when children are taken away from their parents through foster care or whatever mm -hmm. it might be yeah they go back and people really struggle with the why would you want to go back after what they did to you like but you're misunderstanding that you know evolutionary connection of these people okay. like in my tribe they've kind of kept me alive yes they maybe yeah. have a job but when you're a kid you don't know that so you just adapt and do what you need to do yeah and you want to help them. You know, I think that's a huge piece for me is that for, you know, I wanted, I wanted to help my parents and even in my healing, like I want, I, and one of the biggest griefs for me around my dad was that now I have a space where he could have come and he would have had space for healing. And I like, you know, this is a real controversial thing and there are so many nuances here. Um, but there were no other spaces before, you know, it was like, uh, you know, some like death sentence stamp of like, you're the worst person. And like, you did horrifying things, you know, but it's like also so many of us that have experienced this trauma, there's such a bigger picture to everything that's going on. It's not like that, you know, there's, there's just so much there and, um, and there's rage and there's hatred. And sometimes I'm like, I wish that I had killed him, you know, like, so it's like, it's, it's a very complex thing and oftentimes people struggle to hold the, the complexities of it all I think like it's not yeah it's definitely not a black and white thing and the grief that the, there often is a real grief process for survivors as well with the like okay yep the come they're trying to compartmentalize there's this version of one person but then like the rest of the world is trying to make it into like this archetype that doesn't exist. Yeah, and this evil monster. And it's like, if he was an evil monster, one of you guys would have freaking mm. noticed, you know? Like, maybe somebody would have helped. But no, instead, you know, like, um, and I think for me, there's this thing around, if, like, I want to live in a world where there's space for healing for all of us. And if I don't live in that world, that means I live in a world where there are monsters and evil that, you know, are beyond repair. And that's just not my reality. You know, and um, sadly, in our world, there isn't much space for it, which is why we see such huge rates of child sexual abuse and domestic mm -hmm. violence and all this stuff. You know, it's like, we don't accept domestic violence. And it's like, oh, great, because it's happening everywhere. So <laughs> uh, great tactic there. Instead of like, hey, is domestic violence happening? Here's a safe space to explore what's going on in your family. Mm. You know, like that would that would be probably way more useful than like I've just as we've been driving I've been seeing all these signs that say we do not accept domestic violence and I'm like well that's weird because I bet it's happening in a lot of these homes right now so yeah and again if you're going back to birth and supporting people and all that kind of stuff it's like yeah the grief process of that for a lot of people of having your support system even if you're you can acknowledge and be cognizant yes my support system has got a lot of flaws but it's my support system and this mm. reactionary like well let's just get rid of that let's just round everybody up and stick them on, on it. instead of trying to work with it which is i mean it's we're not like making out like that's an easy thing to do but it's totally. also people realizing that 
Yeah, working with people who have trauma might mean somebody who is very poised and together and asks for what they want and still struggles. Or it might be, I remember when I was talking to um, Erica Kramer about this and how her kind of almost default for survival was like just rage woman, like pushing people mm. Like you motherfucker, don't you do this, don't you do that? Which is also like, oh my god, like that's a trauma response. That's a survival response, okay? Like Mm. taking everything so personally. And that moment it's not about you. So it can look like different things. I often think also about like kids in the classroom and the kid who is anxious and sucks their thumb and how so much people will easily warm to that, whereas the kid who's up on the desk throwing stuff at people and spitting. Totally. Like completely different response and like it's the same shit it's just different packaging so being mindful what packaging trauma might come in I suppose is around Mm. where I was going to with that yeah totally yeah like I in my senior year of high school I was absent by like there are four nine-week periods and by the third nine weeks I'd been absent 70 days um which is like that's totally not legal um but my parents didn't care. I would just, at the end of the nine weeks, I would go and get a printout of the days I would miss. The attendance ladies knew me and they hated me. And Mm -hmm. I would write a note for my parents and I would say, you know, please excuse, I've changed my name. So my name was Kevy back then. It was Kevin. It's a whole nother story. Um, (laughs) But uh, please excuse Kevy for, um, you know, all these, just this list of dates. Um, and you know she was sick and then they'd sign it and then that was that because I had good enough grades and whatever like that was it and a lot of my teachers like hated me for it and they hated me for being you know just like flippant and you know not showing up to school and whatever but none of them I don't think you know and and teachers are not resourced in the way that they should be and you know like I'm not I'm not at all blaming the teachers here um but you know it's like we just it's like oh yeah she's just some like privileged white kid who you know just skip school when she wants to kind of a thing and it's like well guys actually there was a lot more going on yeah yeah of course just because you look relatively washed and can smile yeah. doesn't mean anything but I think it's yeah it's a thing also that we don't want to acknowledge that we have this idea of ah, oh, I would know if a child was in trouble Mm-hmm. Because somehow yeah. I would sense it, I would feel it, I would see it. And a lot of the time you have to go, well, no, people don't. Yeah. And especially if they're working since they were in the womb to, you know, keep it all in and protect themselves and protect their family. And, you know, um, it's so under the wraps then. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why for me, like trauma-informed care, like the biggest thing for me is one recognizing how trauma has impacted you because the reality is trauma has impacted all of us even if it's just in the relationships that we have with other people we're all connected and I guarantee everyone knows a survivor of intense developmental trauma and that alone impacts us but then also the trauma of living in this world in this society in this culture the trauma of disconnection from the earth is massive and the trauma of repressing our feelings is also massive. Most of us were told, knock it off, everything's fine, get it together, stop crying, there's nothing to be afraid of. And that's huge. Like one of my favorite quotes about trauma is from Peter Levine and it's, trauma is not what happens to us, 
but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. And we all have those experiences. And so being trauma informed is about realizing, you know, it's not about knowing the statistics and about trying to be like, do you have trauma? Like, no, um, it's about knowing how it impacts us and knowing what's going on in the world. Like, I do think it's useful to know how deep trauma runs for a lot of people and to be aware of some of the stuff, you know, about developmental trauma and ancestral trauma um, and intergenerational trauma, um, because I think most of that impacts all of us, too. Um, and then it's also about feeling feelings. And so, so often people don't, you know, like... I've talked to, you know, doulas who have something going on and they're like, oh gosh, like, I, you know, should I refer him? And, and, you know, oh, I don't know if I can deal with this, whatever. And I'm just like, how are you feeling? And often they're feeling scared. They're feeling like a bit of shock. And, you know, like if they haven't, if someone hasn't heard these kinds of stories before and someone brings them in, that's in your world now. It's in your body and it's your responsibility to move with it yeah. if it's come up. And maybe the answer is referring, you know, I don't know, but what we can't do is just stay in our minds and move from there because that's not trauma informed at all. Um, and I think it's so important to move with those feelings and have spaces for ourselves to move with them. And it doesn't have to be, you know, with a practitioner specifically working in that, but I think that can be really useful, but it can be with a friend. It can be with another doula person, someone who you have to witness you and your feelings because we're also meant to be feeling with each other one of the key aspects of emotions is that we are seen in them because they're a, a way that we communicate with our people with our herd with other animals and so moving with those feelings most of us have quite a lot of trauma around so it's hard and it feels like oh no I'll just do that later or actually you know we have all these excuses and coping mechanisms around like oh, I actually feel a lot you know I cry quite a bit, you know, so I'm, I'm good there. I'm, I'm totes a feeling person. Um, and what I teach is around um, practicing feeling the feelings, which creates the new neural pathway of being safe to feel. Mm. Yeah. Um, so just, you know, so I call it an emotion circle, um, which I learned from innate wisdom connection. Um, and that's just, you know, it can take a, a minute, two minutes of going through, you know, joy, fear, anger, and just with the body and the sound, if I was feeling this feeling, what would it look like, you know? Um, and this is a healthy and safe way to express any emotion that there is. We have so much shame around, especially emotions like anger and fear, um, and, and moving with them, and it helps to then when the feelings come up later, to go, ah, oh, this is what's happening. And, you know, we can go and find, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest if you're with a client, um, just being like, ah, and totally moving with your fear, depending on what you're doing, what the client is. Um, but, you know, going, ah, oh, I'm noticing fear right now. So later when I get into my car, or when I go to the bathroom, you know, or just saying, hey, I, I just need to go to the bathroom real quick and going into the bathroom and going, ah, you know, like, that's what fear looks like. Fear does not look like deep breaths. Uh, have a lot of, I mean, meditation is great, but also it's not how we feel. Um, and yeah, that's the, that's the, the key to trauma-informed stuff for me. It's not about knowing all the things. Because like there are people that have repressed memory until they're 70. So it's not about knowing whether or not they do. You know, it's about working from a place that is useful for everyone you work with, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so true because I think we also want to think that if we're really grounded and really nice and really supportive like people will tell us and I you know I think this is <laughs> I guarantee you there are people who 
have a story and they ain't telling anyone maybe ever totally even themselves that's the story they're saying today and it's not yeah that's not the job the job is not to tick off stuff on forms and be like cool we did that it's acknowledging that even if even if you did all the things whatever all the things are you are still going to have people maybe even yourself feel like okay yep that's that's not coming out that's i don't even know i don't even know what language to put on it if that's a thing if it's not a thing so we'll just leave it which is what you're going back again with the (sighs) connecting that you're feeling something in your body whatever it might be all my heart rates Mm -hmm. oh i feel a bit sick oh i feel a bit weird and then Mm -hmm. as you say if you're in birth work or you're with a client patient whatever term you want to use connecting that with something else so when i open the door to go to the toilet when I close the door, when I turn a light switch on, when I do something, that's when I'm going to go back to that and go, okay, what was that feeling? Talk to mm-hmm. someone about it. I think a huge thing that birth workers seem to be doing a lot of, and I've talked about this over and over and over, but I keep talking about it again because it's so important, is stuffing stuff down and being particularly mm-hmm. like if you're new and you're like two sheep scared to say, oh, I felt really scared. I felt really something when this came up because, yeah, we're taught to... <laughs> Put the face on, don't do the work, don't bring your stuff yep. up. It's different. It's Keep not- calm and carry on. Yeah, that's it. I'm here for you. That's and it. Like, no, actually, you can't be here for me if you're not here for yourself and if you're not present with what's coming up for you. And that's like, I think too, like, there's just so much magic in there. Like, there's so much healing and so much magic in moving with and expressing whatever is coming up. Like I really love process work, um, which is created by Arnold Mandel. And um, it's really, the key is, is that whatever's happening, whatever is going on in the environment is useful and worthy of being looked at and unfolded, you know? And I think it's key to build trust with yourself because if you say, oh, I'll go and feel that feeling later and you don't, Mm. then your body remembers that and it's going to come out sideways one way or another. It's going to come out in some strange interaction with the client. It's going to come out in the birth space. It's going to come out in your relationship. It's going to come out with your child. Uh, it's going to come out in self-hatred or, you know, um, addiction or depression, burnout, you know, and that's exactly what vicarious trauma is, is when, um, something is brought to us and we don't feel it and we don't acknowledge, you know, like, um, in um i think it's trauma and recovery they talk about how you know if you're a therapist and someone comes to you with a bunch of holocaust stories for example and maybe you've never you know felt much or related much to the holocaust and now all of a sudden there's all this stuff about the holocaust Mm -hmm. that's in your mind that's impacting your body that's that's there and if you don't move with it if you don't have space for it it, it impacts you and it impacts the person you're working with and it impacts the whole relationship and the whole environment. And that might sound like a kind of, you know, like scary, like, Oh, it impacts me kind of a thing, but there's like, there's just so much healing and magic in you feeling it. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, but that's not my thing. That's not my, you know, I'm like with my husband, for example, it's like so easy to say, Oh, well that's Lotus's trauma. And she's the one that has to deal with it. She has to live with it. He has to live with it too. You know, it impacts him too. He never, he never knew that things like what happened to me happened in the world. And there's healing in him to, in, in him moving with that stuff for his own life. 
even though it's not his story, it's still, there's just so much magic in there and magic for our relationship and for the, the whole world. That's so true. That's so true. That's why I always think like, yeah, trauma is the teacher. It's the here. It's for the lessons. And, you know, the more that you can say you don't want the lessons and they're not here and they're not for you and they're not relevant and whatever and whatever, they'll come up. They'll keep coming up. And it'll just keep repeating. You know, I think that like, um, I think it's trauma healing that is the teacher because trauma in and of itself is just going to keep repeating and cycling and you know old pathways just on repeat and if we don't have space for it then we probably won't learn much uh but if we can show up for the healing if we can make it to that space and if we can keep trying like it is so hard sometimes you know like i sat across when i was pregnant after my dad died I sat across from a therapist who was physically uncomfortable with what I was bringing into the room. Like she was like just adjusting her clothes and going. (sighs) And she eventually recommended me to um, Al-Anon meetings because community was really where healing happens. So she recommended that I go to Al-Anon meetings because I might find other people with similar stories. And that sucked. It really, really sucked. I was in the depths of despair and I needed help and she did not help me. You know, I showed up and I, I went and I made the effort to get to that space and it wasn't helpful, but it also like, there's like, there's still use and continuing to show up. And I just, you know, I want to acknowledge to anyone that's listening. That's like, I don't know that it's worth it or, you know, it, it hasn't worked in the past. Um, that, that there's still magic out there and there's still hope and whatever has happened in the past is useful to be unfolded and is useful to be worked with. And like, there's just, there's so much possibility in healing. Um, and we, we feel so blinded often by the trauma because it tells us like, no, don't look at me. You know, that's what all the coping mechanisms say. And, you know, with people that with repressed memories that don't want to look at stuff, like I get it. And it takes so much courage to be able to say, this is true. You know, and for me, like, there will always be parts of me that say, no, it's not true. You're just lying. You're just making it up. And that's been a journey of realizing that, like, it's okay for those parts of me to still be there, too. I don't have to, you know, I I think I thought that I would somehow get to a place where I was like, I 100% know for a fact that it happened. I don't think I will ever get there, you know, and that's okay. Because these other parts of me kept me alive for so long. And I can, I have power to negotiate with them and to say, hey, you know, I hear you and I need a bit of space from you. Can you please shuffle aside a bit and I can grow these new patterns as well. But I also have a lot of compassion for those parts because, you know, like I said, they helped me get here to now and they matter too. Mm. Self-compassion is pretty, I think that's often the hard thing for people to get to, even after you've Mm. done loads of work, seen loads of people. I think, um, I think that comes up for me a lot is compassion for others, but not so much compassion for self. So that, totally. yeah. And I think that's good to acknowledge that it's, it's hard sometimes to be, it's not even being nice to yourself. It's actually just, you know, the amazing work that you can do, the amazing conversations you can have with other people, but be able to do that to yourself or yourself mm. is really hard sometimes. Totally. It is so hard. Um, And I think it's, it comes back to like Renee Brown talks about how we can, um, you know, tell our children all these things and we can tell them to be compassionate and we can be compassionate with them all we want. 
But if we're not compassionate with ourselves, at the end of the day, that's what they're going to see and that's what they're going to learn. And most of us did not grow up with parents or adults around who were compassionate with themselves yeah. because they had trauma too. Mm -hmm. And so as much as we've seen people being compassionate towards other people, it's that thing of like, if, if the adults that were around us weren't doing it for themselves, then that's what we learn from. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's so much pressure, I think, around self-love these days. And I'm all for it if it's real. <laughs> I'm also not for band-aids. And I think a lot of what happens in a lot of the work is a bunch of band-aiding and wrapping mm -hmm. and new masks and new, you know, it's like, oh, now I fit into this. And now I love myself. And it's just, um, there's still a lot of wounding and, you know, like I say, pus and, um, you know, rotting flesh underneath yeah. the self-love and, um, it's there all along. And so if what's real and true for you is that you hate yourself, um, move with that mm -hmm. and acceptance will come and, you know, having people around you who can invite you to be compassionate with yourself. And like, I, um, I was at a workshop recently where we did quite a bit of shadow work and, I actually, um, I have these skulls, I have a little altar next to me. I found two skulls. This is one of them. Um, and my intuition led me to them. It was so strange. Never found a skull in my life before. Um, this is the other one. And I was like, what, um, what, what are these skulls here for? Like, what's going on? Um, and I, what I got was that it was about the shadow. And so then I was like, okay, well, what, you know, the shadow is about what we're unconscious of. So it can be a bit of a tricky thing to work with because it's like, if I'm totally unconscious of it, how can I find out what it is? Yeah. So over the workshop, I was, you know, reflecting onto that and, you know, asking for guidance around it and stuff. And um, <laughs> one of the things that came up for me that was the shadow uh, was self-compassion. And I was like, oh God, you know, it's this, I have so much resistance sometimes to it. And, um, and, and to the inner child work and you know like I love that stuff and I love doing it with other people but so often with myself still it's like oh do we have to mm -hmm. um and and yeah it's it's hard and it's hard to and it's a lot easier to pretend that I do or pretend that I'm this way you know or to put a band-aid on or to use positive affirmations and oh, yeah. I think affirmations can be useful if we felt the feelings because it's like if there's an old neural pathway of I'm not good enough I'm what's wrong with the world um you know that's one of my big ones like it's my fault uh mm. this is happening because I'm bad mm. and um if that's the neural pathway and I just throw at it a bunch of I love myself I love and the neural pathways like I don't care what you're doing over here like you can you can fluff around with that all you want but if I move with the feelings and I express my shame and I'm like oh I'm not good enough I'm not good enough I'm a trash whore I'm horrible like that's often what shame looks like um then I can help to kind of release that neural pathway and loosen it up and I can become more conscious of that neural pathway and that's how we can create new ones and so then I can bring in some positive affirmations or some other practices or you know because I have a bit more space for it but if I don't feel the feelings with my body and my voice not my mind mm. then there's no space for it so I mean you can still like I, I do think it does work in some kind of band-aidy um way but I think underneath there's still a lot of self-hatred going on for a lot of us oh yeah i would agree with that so much um because i think it depends on the context in which you do it and i think um yeah any of us can sit in the warm bubble bath and do the affirmations but if you're rushing through it 
and you're like, yeah, for me, a lot of my resistance comes around like that. Oh, like it's cheesy, it feels icky, and it has to come back to that. Like, no, hang on. Like that whole history of being rushed through every self-care mm-hmm. thing in your life to sit yeah. down and actually take care of you means acknowledging like that you're worth taking care of. Which for mm-hmm. Jesus, funnily enough, you go into helping healing professions love taking care of other people get so much yep. motivation and joy and good warm fuzzy feelings out of it but all we don't like doing that for ourselves because we're not worthy yeah we're not totally or unlovable or whatever it might be yeah i think that might hit for some people when you're mm. identifying with that like oh i'm so good at doing that for other people i can give people lots of lists of affirmations and wonderful self-love things to do but yeah, are you just like looking at yourself sideways in the mirror when you're reading it and going? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and often we don't even realize it. You know, we're we're kind of unconscious of it, and we just you know put these new band aids and masks and shove more stuff, and it's just more under the surface, and we don't even realize how much deep self hatred and wounding there is there. And you know, that's a big ancestral one, I think, especially for women, mm-hmm. um, and you know, people of color and trans people and any marginalized group. Um, I think it's huge, all the shame that we carry around who we are and what our bodies are. And, you know, we have all this freaking advertising everywhere. And, um, yeah, I think also for me, um, around the inner child stuff, I have this big, like, oh, it's childish, you know? And that's like, mm. I was like an adult from age two, you know? I was <laughs> like, oh, look how, how mature, you know? I think a lot of uh, people with developmental trauma get that, like, wow, you're so mature. Thanks, mm. it was the trauma. Um But yeah, I have this huge, like, it's childish thing. And I think for me, a big helpful practice has been stepping into adult me, because often the resistance that's coming up is from a child part of me that doesn't think it's safe, you know, that's like, this is childish. Nobody, you know, and it's often like my grandfather and my father's voice and, you know, being like, this is dumb, this is just silly, you know, knock it off. And um, so coming into the adult me and being like, I'm here now. I see that you don't want to do this. I see that this makes you uncomfortable and that you're scared and that you think it's weird, but I want to do this because it's important to me and I care about my healing and I'm here now. You don't have to drive the bus. I've got the wheel. In fact, I don't want you to drive the bus anymore. <laughs> yeah, please. It's dangerous. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, like I have this space that I um take my inner children to um and it's like by a waterfall in Sri Lanka it's a house uh built in my mind and and body for them and um it's like it's protected by a Harry Potter wizardry charm spell as well and uh it's got all these I have like so many I've got like 5,000 inner children you know lots of different splits and ages and things um and they all want to drive the bus often um and so when it gets overwhelming I take them there and I say you know I've got to do this thing this is important to me you know whatever like before this interview I was like hey you all hang out here I have some helpful ancestors that hang out and, and take care of them and make them snacks and hear them cry and whatever else is going on um and uh and then I step into adult me, you know, and um, adult me knows different things. Sometimes it's hard to find adult me. It's like, I don't think she's there. You know, there's so many inner children that are like, no, <laughs> she doesn't exist. Um, but more and more, I build the, the pathway of finding her and owning who I am now um, and stepping into that and, and caring for them. And it's incredible, uncomfortable. <laughs> mm. <laughs> work 
I think you make it beautiful. You make it beautiful and something that other people could grab even just like just a little morsel of. They'd be they'd be lucky to be in your splash zone, really. Thanks. <laughs> what do you want to plug? Well, um, I have a zine that I'm about to release. Um, mm. I don't have the link for that yet, but um, it's called I Know Another Mother, and it's stories of mothers uh, that have survived childhood sexual abuse. Um, I'm super excited to release that and continue journeying with those stories. Mm. Um, I also have a free Facebook group called Mental Mamas United, uh, which is all about just kind of owning and uh, sharing real truths around how motherhood is mental um and um i have a six week uh kind of expansive healing foundational journey um that i'm offering which can be for pregnancy uh, i'm a full spectrum doula and i work with the idea that birth includes rebirth and postpartum is forever so um anything is really welcome um and also I also work with the idea um, that motherhood and mothering is a stage in life for many of us. And so, um, you know, I work with people that don't have physical children earth side as well that are in the time of, you know, early twenties, um, late twenties, thirties, whatever. Um, and yeah, I do a lot of work with um, child sexual abuse survivors as well. Um, and people that just want to, feel feelings. Emotional expression is one of my big things. Um, and I'm also about to relaunch my um, facilitated online community, which is called Being With What Is. Um, and that's a lifetime membership to a space um, where I share masterclasses and um, different resources. And it's kind of like my, my house for all the things. Um, and yeah, lots of other exciting projects to come but those are those are the big ones right now that's a pretty good start that's, that's yeah. nice. <laughs> i got big visions <laughs> yeah that's great that's great well, well thank you so much thank you it was truly an honor take time to move today's conversation through your body get up Go for a walk, have a shower, dance in the kitchen, cry, do something physical to shift any tension that might have come up. I've been working with survivors of sexual assault, abuse and all sorts of trauma for over a decade. So if you want support, we can totally do this together. Go to drerin.com.au or at drerinbow on Instagram. Birth Trauma Training for Birth Workers, the course, is about to start soon. I'm beta testing it at the moment, so stay posted. It's nearly ready. Again, you can head to drerin.com.au for updates. And if you want to work with Lotus, who has had so much experience with trauma and also growth and healing and all of those good things, find her at the Lotus Fire on Instagram and thelotusfire.com. Now, hope is a doing word. My hope is that warm, empathic, intuitive workers will stay in birth, but we need to do something. Take a big step up. Work on some of the fears that you have. To stay in the helping and healing professions, you really need to level up your self-care and support. And if you're struggling to even do Human 101 with sleep, nourishment, rest, so on, how are you going to serve anyone? You owe it to yourself and the people that you serve and that you work with to make sure that your cup's running over and you're thriving. 
this is my jam. This is my stuff. Reach out to me, drerin.com.au, Oregon, at drerinbow on Instagram. Thank you for making some time for yourself to do some uncomfortable stuff. That's how we low. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I thank you so much for allowing me to speak my passions and do my soul work.